This is the iFanboy Pick of the Week, number 612, brought to you by Harry's. Harry's is so confident that you're going to love their blades, they'll give you their trial shave set for free when you sign up at harrys.com slash iFanboy. Just pay for shipping. And iFanboy listeners just like you. Fanboy Pick of the Week, episode 612. I'm Ryan Haupt, filling in for an at-large Josh Flanagan this week. And with me is Connor Kilpatrick. Hello, everyone. Hello, Ryan. Thanks for being here. And uh, we are the the single men who sit in on the show during Thanksgiving weekend. Yes, I opted to well, not, not single, but the, the non-kitted men. What well, I, I did spend, yeah, I spent Thanksgiving only with my podcast friends this right. year. It's, it's been a very podcasty Thanksgiving for me, which has been great. We are a fanboy, and every week we read our stack of comics, and one of us picks their favorite book, and we call that book the pick of the week. We talk about that book, other books from the week, the patron pick, and maybe if we have some time, we'll read some listener mail, and it's going to be fun. You will have fun. <laughs> you're sick of your family. You're ready for a break. This is your fun time. Put your feet up. <laughs> I do need to put my feet up. I hurt my ankle yesterday. Oh, no. Here's your spoiler warning. This is a review show. So we're going to talk about what happens in the books, which means spoilers. So if you haven't read your books, pause the show, come back uh, after you've read them, and just, you know, use your head. Be smart about it. <laughs> this week, uh, I was not given the pick, which is a shocking state of affairs. But, Connor, uh, you had the pick. Tell us what you had. I had the pick, and I don't know about most people, but for me, when I have to do this show, reading the comics is a very regimented affair i have my routines to make sure i get it done in time you know because we usually record on a friday so we only have a little bit of time to read them all and and when, when something like thanksgiving happens it just blows the whole routine up so it was it was a little dicey for a while there getting my comics done in time but the pick of the week was punisher the platoon number three from garth ennis and goran parlov closed by Jordi belair letters rob steen and uh this was a weird week of books where i i, I enjoyed most everything but a couple of big ticket items didn't quite pay off the way I was hoping. And in the end, the book I thought about the most when I was done reading was Punisher the Platoon, which has been a fantastic miniseries so far. This is the halfway point of it. And it just seems a little odd when I think about it that this show and then the, the previous show on the feed are both Vietnam-themed. But this is the sort of quintessential war story in which the lieutenant of the platoon, in this case Frank Castle, has to get his men the supplies they need and often those supplies don't come from the official channels. And they have to go find the guy, in this case, the guy with the sweet mustache, who can get them the supplies they need in order for some shady tr trades and dealing. Basically, it's, it's Punisher on the black market getting his men the guns they need to survive. And I just loved the character work. Um, the Gordon Parloff art was fantastic. And to, for me, this is a miniseries I've been loving, but this has been my favorite issue of this miniseries so far. And Ryan, I'm really glad you're reading it because you're, the, you're my first co-host who has been. Really, Josh isn't reading this. That's that's surprising Josh to me. Josh forgets it comes out f for reasons that's just not worth getting into. But I, even this week, I had to message him like I was his assistant, saying, "Josh, I know you're not on the show this week, but don't forget, Punisher: The Platoon comes out this week." So I, I was really excited about this issue coming into issue three because I loved the end of issue two, and issue three wasn't anything like I thought it was going to be, but I still thought it was great. Issue two ends with Frank 
announcing that there's going to be a siege upon their position. And uh, one of the men in his platoon says, what, like at a, at a castle? And I laughed because his name is Frank Castle. Right. But then I guess this this issue was more them preparing for the siege, getting their gear up to date, or I guess back in date because they were uh, well, the demodernizing siege, the, the a little bit. The siege happens in the first two pages. It's just that they call in the artillery to, to take care of it. Frank does like to call on the artillery. That's his go-to move so far. But what the siege did reveal was that they're in trouble because they're just one small platoon in this position. And uh, anyone who knows anything about the Vietnam War, and I think people are finding out more and more about it now as there's you know things like the Vietnam miniseries. So the M16 was a really terrible weapon. As we've said before in the show, G.I. Joe lied to us all because they all carried M16s around. But here they realize they're not going to survive on the M16s. Frank refuses to use the AK-47s. It's a peasant's it's weapon. It's too easy. Why make it too easy? <laughs> they can't hit anything with the M16 from too far away because it's not a good rifle. So they all decide, well, Frank and his, I guess his sort of second in command decide they're going to they're going to get themselves some M14s, which are the rifles that they trained with, which are much more accurate, but for whatever reason they're not using. And so that's, that is why they go find the, the shady guy who, you know, there's always a shady guy in the war story who has all the black market stuff and they find this guy and they they want m14s fine he wants ak-47s because they're really rare because the green berets booby trap them and they're really sought after you know um not memorabilia but uh take homes for the soldiers so they get into this little uh black market scheme and it was it's a, it's a, it's almost a small quiet um lull in this story in which we spend some time with the punisher and his guys we spend some time with his uh i guess his counterparts over on the Viet Cong side and Frank stares into your soul. If you yeah, that, that was that. that was a really great panel, which would have been a panel of the week had we still been doing that thing, in which Frank tells the guy, no, you're running heroin, and it comes nowhere near my guys. And there's this great shot of his piercing blue eyes, and you're just like, yeah, I wouldn't, I don't know why you would want to even think about it once you, once you looked into his eyes. And you can see, you know, he's Frank Castle, he's the Punisher, but as we've discussed before, the framing device for this particular story is that there's a reporter who wants to write a book about Frank Castle in Vietnam. He's been interviewing his platoon mates in the modern day, and they're all old men. And they all love him because as soldiers, the most important thing for them was that their commanding officer kept them alive, which is clearly what they did. he did because they're all still alive as old men. Right. So it's not like he's at war with the mafia in an American city with a bunch of American civilians being put in harm's way. Like His goal in this scenario is one that, as the reader, we can wholeheartedly agree with. Because um, he's not even like out to get the Viet Cong. He's just out to keep his guys alive. And so it really just it works well to make Frank Castle maybe not maybe not sympathetic, but at least you want him to win in a way that you don't always want him to win in the regular book. This is the, one of the few scenarios in which Frank Castle is the good guy. Yeah. I mean, he's not, as you said, he's not a psychopath who just wants to kill as many Viet Cong as possible. He 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 displays unerring ability to be a good soldier but he's not out there like hunting scalps he's just doing his job and that's one of the things you know one of the few times you can see that. and then you know the whole storyline of frank is that vietnam sort of woke woke him up and then he goes home and the mafia helps create the punisher but you know if you took the punisher name off of this title he would be a very sympathetic character mm-hmm. and uh, there's a really another great moment in which they're flying back after having secured their guns that he is uh asleep in the helicopter and they're, they're all kind of astounded by that it's just it's a really great character piece the Goran Parlov art is terrific the last time I saw I saw him I think was that Starlight book with Mark Miller um, anytime I see a comic that I'm reading with Goran Parlov art it's a treat and it really elevates Garth Ennis's war stories because I, I dropped off of his Avatar war comics just because it didn't sing quite the same way with art that wasn't always professional level 
And it's it's a tough thing because comics are art and words. And no matter how good the words are, if the art is is not great, it's hard to really get into it. But this this is just all I want out of a Garth Ennis war comic. You get a little bit of real life history with the gun lessons. You get great character stuff. You get a guy who really seems to understand the the messiness that was this war because the Viet Cong here are also really interesting. Right. Characters. And it's also cool because I haven't watched all of it, but I've watched a little bit of the Ken Burns documentary mm-hmm. and the Ken Burns documentary talks to a lot of Vietnamese soldiers in addition to American soldiers. And this, the author who's writing this book is doing the same thing. You mean the author within the story? Yeah. The author within the story, the framing device of this right. flashback, extended flashback who talking to the American soldiers, they didn't know that he was also consulting with former VC. And so there's some really interesting tension there where they want to tell the story about Frank, but they didn't realize that um, this author was also getting a Viet Cong perspective. And so we, as the viewer, get to see some of that Viet Cong perspective. And the two worlds haven't really come together yet in a direct way. And I'm, I'm really excited for that. Yeah. And, you know, we just talked about the other side, Josh and I, the, the Jason Aaron's Vietnam story. And in that story, it's pretty starkly, mirror, they're mirror images, the two sides of Viet Cong and the American soldiers here. The Viet Cong brother, Chuang, uh, I don't want to mispronounce that name, but they're a bit more bad guy-ish, but not cartoony bad guy. I mean, they're, the other soldiers, they're a bit more lethal. There's the woman all in black who we don't know what her, her whole point is yet. That's a bit more car- superhero-y, a bit more comic book-y, but I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty sympathetic as well. They talk, they talk about the artillery uh, that the Americans keep dropping, and one guy denounces it. The other guy says, hey, if we had it, we would do it too. And it was, I mean, this book is terrific, and it's all I was expecting from a Garth Ennis war comic done from Marvel. Yeah, I really enjoy this book as well. Um, it's going to make a great little trade when it comes out, you know, yes. tight, tight six issues. And I think it's going to be one of the, I would not be surprised if this becomes one of the Punisher stories that we point to as if you want to read some cool Punisher books, here's where you go. And, you know, if it takes doing it in the Marvel Universe with a Marvel character for Garth Ennis to get Gordon Parloff to draw his war comics, then that's, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that trade off. He's not walking around with a skull on his chest. You know, it's not like they're constantly alluding to the fact he's the Punisher. It's just he's Frank Castle, and he fought mm-hmm. in Vietnam. And he's also a great Punisher writer. Garth Ennis did a very storied run on the Punisher. So he's, I mean, this is his wheelhouse right here. So Action Comics 992 is, the, is sort of the prelude. I don't want to say the prelude to Doomsday Clock, but it's the aftermath of the Oz effect, which leads into Doomsday Clock a little bit. So we'll talk about this one first. This was odd to me, Ryan, because, and I want to know what your take is on the Oz effect in general, but I actually kind of like this, and I didn't really like the Oz effect story for the most part, in which, you know, supposedly Jor-El appeared after having been plucked out of time by Dr. Manhattan to uh, tell Superman that it's pointless to, to save humans because humans suck, and I just didn't really like that story, especially coming on the heels of almost the same exact story happening with uh, Man- Manchester Black. I like this one. I like Superman's self-doubt manifesting in him talking to Bruce Wayne and talking to Hal Jordan and going to consult the Green Lanterns, and I liked all of that. I'm a big fan of Superman interacting with the Green Lantern Corps. Yes. Because we don't often think of Superman as a cosmic character, but he, he should. is. He like, should do that yeah, more. He's from space. <laughs> he's an alien. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I really like when he goes and interacts with that side of his history uh, there was an issue, I guess it must have been before the reboot, where he goes to the Hayden Planetarium and they look at Krypton and he gets to see Krypton being destroyed because the timing was right that the light reached Earth. Mm-hmm. But in this comic, he goes to Mogo and tries to look at the destruction of Krypton so he can see that his ship is the only ship 
to leave Krypton, which confused me a little bit just because even if he didn't want Jor-El to also get off the planet, there, we know that there were other ships that would have left, like Crypto didn't come with him, Supergirl didn't come with him, Streaky right. the, the super cat, Comet the super horse. In fact, Stepo, we should have seen like a clogged freeway of traffic off of Krypton <laughs> before the 4.05 at 6 o'clock before uh, the planet exploded. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it does... That does sort of undercut the dramatic moment of him watching this video, but I mean, you're, you're totally right. I, I feel like an idiot for not even realizing this as I was reading it, that there were quite a few ships that made it off Krypton before it blew up. But yeah. but the moment in the story is that they're watching this cosmic recording. He, see, he sees his ship fly off, which was, I thought was a, kind of a cool moment. And then it, the video, f- or the, the Green Lantern video, you know, projected through, through the power of the ring, fuzzes out at the moment in which Jor-El's ship would or would not have left. And that's strange. Mm-hmm. It's almost like there's a being who can control time. <laughs> and then there's a, a moment in which, so Superman decides, hey, I'm going to go try to figure this out. He goes to jail, the Justice League Watchtower. He goes to Flash's cosmic treadmill. He says, I can run fast too. Let's see if I can do this. And so he ends up zapping back in time just as Booster Gold appears in his time ship saying, no, don't. Oh, too late. But then I, I thought, well, why not just get back in your time ship and then dial it back two hours and go back? I mean, it's a time ship. Yeah, you should be standing there in the room when he walks in <laughs> to I hop mean, on the treadmill. We all know Booster Gold is incompetent. However, it is a time ship. And yep. the whole point of the time ship is you're never late because you can control time. I also, and this is, this may be a complete quibble. Well, it is a quibble. It definitely is a quibble. But I would be curious to see if anybody else felt this is I thought the, the cosmic treadmill only worked if you had the speed force. I didn't think it was just a function of going fast. I don't know, man. You're the scientist. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got issues. And, you know, <laughs> whenever, whenever Jor-El comes up as a scientist, I get like, I have weird feelings about Jor-El, especially if they're making Jor-El a bad guy, because Jor-El's story is literally the story of a guy, a scientist telling everyone that there was a big problem with the world and no right. one believed him. And then the world ended. Right. And that's, that's the tragedy of Jor-El. That's why we like him. And then that's why I really disliked this arc, even if it was sort of a Dr. Manhattan influenced Jor-El. I, let's get to the next book, because I think uh, hopefully this, this next book will solve a lot of uh, the problems, the lingering DC problems. And, and there are The point is, I'm building a ship to get <laughs> my infant son off this planet. <laughs> well, if you end up doing that, let me know before you leave. Okay. Doomsday Clock number one. This is the big release of the week. Jeff Johns, Gary Frank, Brad Anderson, Rob Lee. And this is the 12-issue miniseries in which we are told uh, Superman and Dr. Manhattan will will come to, if not blows, some sort of clock-making competition. This was the book I was the most excited for this week. This was also the book I was most excited for. We have different philosophies. I read the most excited book last. You read it first. We both did first. that. And I really liked it, but I didn't love it. Yeah, so it maintain, you know, it, it it definitely is built on the bones of Watchmen. Make no mistake, like it's the nine panel grid. Sometimes they'll merge panels together, but the the structure of the grid remains, and it's interesting. And there's some really good ideas in here, and it'll be interesting to see how they're executed moving forward. But I'm cautiously optimistic, I would say, right now. I don't know what I, I'm expecting, because I don't know how this is going to happen. And I, obviously, I don't know how that's going to happen. I haven't read it yet. But I don't know how these worlds are going to merge. But I don't think I expected this issue to take place basically in the aftermath of the Watchmen story. 
I thought maybe we would just sort of deal with, with them bleeding into the earth as opposed to spending so much time on whatever earth this this is. But, you know, we see the aftermath of Rorschach's diary becoming public and the, the public turning on uh, Ozymandias and destroying, his, you know, rioting and, and storming his building and he becomes a fugitive and and now there's a new Rorschach uh, who's on the case because the old Rorschach is no longer with us. And so the first thing I noticed was that Despite the fact that this was a different Rorschach, the writing for the Rorschach voiceover didn't ring true to me. It Jeff Johns is one of my favorite comic writers. He may be he may be the last guy to try to mimic Alan Moore because their sensibilities are so completely different. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that Rorschach has a very distinctively terse speaking style, there is a rhythm and a lyricism to that style. Here it felt very clipped. Yes, it did. It did. And kind of annoying to read. Yeah, there was nothing that had the poetry of I've seen this city's true face. Right. You know, there was a couple of moments I really liked. There's one moment where there's kind of a fascistic takeover of the U.S., you know, mm-hmm. topical. <laughs> and um, <laughs> all the news stations, all the the the, cro- the crooked media, <laughs> the uh, fake news are signing off. And then a new state run news agency comes on and there's a single panel in the nine grids. So they didn't like waste a full page on it. And it shows the screen of televisions that Ozymandias used to watch because he was smart enough to watch multiple things simultaneously. And it's all just showing the same thing. And I thought that was a a cool, eerie moment. But you know what? I will say, you talk about it having a tiny panel. I think that was one moment that could have used more space. Mm, Interesting. I thought if you'd seen a whole wall of monitors showing William F. Buckley Jr., which I, I, I put my eyebrow up for that one. Yeah, that was that was a little on the nose. No, but I mean, like, I was surprised they were they used that name. I think it might have been more impactful if you. But it doesn't matter. My my other complaint about the issue would be that I don't know that Gary Frank's art is best served in the nine panel grid. He does. It feels a little constrained. Uh, we're also introduced to two new characters, at least new to the Watchmen, which universe. I liked a lot. Marionette and her husband, the Mime, and you might think of them as sort of a knockoff Joker and Harley, but I. I got a lot more from them than that. Uh, I thought the mime was super creepy. He doesn't ever speak and he won't leave the prison with Rorschach until he gets his weapons and his weapons are just things that he mimes. So it's an empty locker and Rorschach's like, oh, too bad. looks like your weapons are gone. And then he just still is picking up things in this empty locker and like putting them on. And I thought that scene was amazing and really eerie and creepy. It was eerie and creepy. That was the best scene in the issue. Uh, Rorschach's You Have Big Problems was a great quote. And so check this out. I did a little research. Yeah. The marionette and the mime are based on old Charlton characters. Well, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Punch and Julie. Ah. <laughs> created by Dave Collar and drawn originally by Steve Ditko, who was, you know, Charlton, Charlton yeah. artist. And so while these are new to the world of the Watchmen, I think Jeff Johns did take a page from Alan Moore by basing them off of old Charlton comic characters. And I thought that was cool. That was good. And, it, you know, it, it's good. It ended with the marionette and the mime and Rorschach going to... Night Owl's base, and then um, Mazamantis shows up. But at this point, I'm thinking, so is this is this just a sequel to Watchmen? When does this like when does this come on? It feels like that. When does it move into DC? And yeah. uh, we get you know how many pages? One. It's long. Two, three, four pages of Clark Kent having a nightmare about being young. Going I didn't the, need that. Going oh. to the prom <laughs> sequence, and then getting in. Then his parents get in a car accident. So, uh, I I liked it. I liked it. It just was very much of a prelude, and it wasn't quite the payoff I was hoping for. 
uh, from a first issue. You know, right. Watchmen was 12 issues and it, it unfolded very slowly, but at least it had that, that first issue punch of the comedian's murder. Mm-hmm. And we didn't really have that moment in this issue. I just think, I don't know, I, don't, I just I think if it, if it took place in the DC rather than in the Watchmen world more, that might have been more what I was looking for. But I, I'm, you know, I didn't dislike it. I just, I'm looking forward to more. I'm fine with the story. I thought it looked terrific. I love that they draw Superman look like Christopher Reeve. I love that Gary Frank does that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know you're going to get that with Gary Frank, and that's a good thing. Does Ozymandias look good, and his Rorschach look really good? It's just, it felt very prelude to me. Yep. And it ends, you know, all the, uh, much like the original issues of Watchmen always ended in a quote, this also ends in a quote, and it ends in a quote from the poem Ozymandias, which many people know Percy Shelley's version of that. If you've never heard it, Brian Cranston reads it as one of the promos for the final season of Breaking Bad. You can find that on, on YouTube or whatever. It's it's great. But uh, the lesser known version of that poem was written by Horace Smith, and he and Percy actually wrote it as part of a competition and Percy won, obviously, so that's why the, his poem is the one everybody knows. But you can also read the Horace Smith version of the poem. And they're both centered around themes about, like, the hubris of of great men and, and their eventual downfall. And um, I thought that was just clever enough touch to end the issue with as sort of like, a, you know, Alan Moore's Watchmen versus Jeff Johns Watchmen, you know. <laughs> um, well, the curious thing will be to see, but by the end of it, are there Watchmen characters in the DCU, or is that world like obliterated or cut off, or you know what I mean? It'll be, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see where things are left at the end, and also how much of DC's mess is cleaned up, because the the implication has been that the whole break after Flashpoint was because of Doctor Manhattan. So we'll see how much is put back, or put right, or fixed, or mostly just. If Damien's still alive by the end of it, is my biggest concern. Nightwing, <laughs> the new order number four. Kyle Higgins, Trevor McCarthy. This is the not an Elseworlds, Elseworlds miniseries. It takes place in the future, in which Dick Grayson has helped the government shut down the superheroes. Although not all of them, because here we get the Teen Titans reunion of Wally West and Cyborg and Changeling and Starfire and, strangely, a Blue Lantern Lois Lane. Yep. And I'm fine with that, and I'm fine if they never explain it. No, I don't, I don't need it. I realized the other day I was I was uh, getting ready to go out for a hike and trying to figure out what hat I should wear. And I realized I've right now with my current haircut, I've got Nightwing hair. Well, I was OK. So I've got the weird, weird feathery gray down the temple look going for me, which also is, feels like a very Kurt Russell 1980s look. Do you have a mullet? Because he's very close to having a mullet. I am also very close to having a mullet. I'm, I, something needs to be done. It's just this. This is what bugs me. It's just I <laughs> I mean it's a weird choice for Nightwing because it's yeah. just, it's, it's so, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not making fun of you here. It's just such a weird look on him. No, it's, I'm, it's not working for me anymore. My hair, it's because it's my hair grew out to a point where the sides are too big and I, I you know, but it, they're too big to hold themselves up Wolverine style. So they're just falling, uh, which is what is happening here with Nightwing. I feel like maybe Trevor McCarthy doesn't know what long hair necessarily does on a head yeah there's a couple of panels where he just looks so ridiculous there's one where he's holding up this gun and he's saying he's 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 arguing with starfire about who ended the relationship basically and he's just he's he's pointing and it just looks it looks weird it doesn't i don't know here's here's something i want to ask you yeah. knowing that dick grayson's one of your favorite characters yeah he's also high in my pantheon of characters because he's the best he's great but are you a dick and barber guy or are you a dick and cory guy I mean, ultimately, 
I have no problem with Dick and Corey. I feel like Corey's your college girlfriend. Mm. You know? Yeah. I feel like she's she's a great relationship you had in college. You, know, you look back on it fondly. She was really important to your your development as a man and, and as a partner. But ultimately, I think Barbara's is true love. But if they ended up together, I wouldn't necessarily hit that. But I liked this because the kid in question, this whole story is that Nightwing's kid has superpowers, which is awkward because he was the guy that got rid of all the superpower people. He's also Starfire's kid. So they the Teen Titans, end, or not Teen, but I guess the new Teen Titans or the, the Marv Wolfman sort of Teen Titans end up saving Nightwing because he's now being hunted down. I, it's a little convoluted, this story, but I really enjoy it. And I really enjoyed I, this particular. Yeah, story. I go back and forth on it. I don't love every issue of it, but I think I like the overall story. It's weird. I, I know we're going to talk about Detective later, but I can't figure out what DC generally wants to do with Kate Kane. Right. And so, like, I can't tell if she's the bad guy or if she's supposed to be the authority figure that is trying to do the right thing, but still within the authority strike. Like, it's just her characterization is always very odd to me. I think it's easy um, for them to make her the bad guy because she's the military person. And the military person is easy to put in the box of, I, I've changed my mind, we're, we're too far outside the law. Um, I mean, that seems to be what they're doing. I don't know if she's mm-hmm. good or bad here. Clearly, I mean, she's being set up as bad, which would go in line with the rest of the, of the way she's being portrayed in, the, in Detective, which we'll get to. But I don't necessarily know that I buy Lois as a, a Blue Lantern, but whatever, it's a fun idea. And then um, I'm all about Thundercat's changeling. That's great. <laughs> Thundercat changeling for days. I think you're right in that, the, the execution isn't necessarily always the best, but I like I like Elseworld stories. I like these fu- alternate future stories. I like the idea of it. I like moments in it. It's and I enjoy reading it. So I, it, yeah. it, it, I'm not gonna say this is the best thing I've ever read, but this is it's really fun. And as a Dick Grayson fan, it's super fun to watch. And it, it ends in a cliffhanger that I'm legitimately interested to see what happens next. Yeah. You know how like Marvel for a while was ending their books. Like, do you want to know what happens next? Like, I I actually do with this issue. <laughs> yeah. All right. So come on, the Commandi challenge. How's that? How's it pronounced? It's just never. It's never gonna. One, one more issue. I can deal with this. One more issue. <laughs> the Commandy Challenge number eleven. I'm glad you put this on the list to talk about because this featured some sweet Walt Simonson art. Ooh boy, did it! Someone was asking me because we were doing the um, on our last patron hangout. Josh and I were doing the rundown for the All Media Show. One of the categories is the comics. At the end, we each pick five books to praise. He asked me if I was going to do this book, and as much as I really love the series overall... <laughs> this book? What's this book called again? Commandy. The Commandy Challenge. The book's too hit and miss to pick as the best of the year, but there's been good issues, and this is what, this is a good issue. I actually really liked the Tom King issue mm-hmm. uh, as, the, as one of the more recent issues. You know, this book feels like it's been going on for a while, which is yes. a treat, but I don't know that it's executed its premise perfectly. Right. No, I agree with that. But it's so much fun. It's so dumb, and I love it. You can tell they're having a lot of fun doing it because they don't—they don't have to worry about anything. They—they, they, I think they kind of like putting the next crew in a weird spot to have to figure out. Even though you're right, it, sometimes they just sort of throw it all out the window and no, no mm-hmm. worry about. Having, the whole—the whole premise of the book was that each issue would end on a cliffhanger, and then the next creative team, because each issue was a different creative team, would have to resolve it and sometimes they do in interesting ways and sometimes it's just kind of like gets resolved in a panel and they move on to whatever they wanted to tell yeah and i feel like a lot of the cliffhangers have been like oh no he's falling right (laughs) you know and i'm like okay yeah uh he's okay like whereas you know bill willingham had had the uh temerity to remove all of his organs and i'm like that's interesting that was the best issue so this is rob williams and walter simonson the legendary artist and he's one of those guys who really can do kirby stuff in a in a fun and and dynamic way there's a great panel in here which Commandy, 
is flying up with a jetpack and he's shooting, yes. his, shooting his blaster and you get the multiple arms multiple oh, so it's good. such a great panel is it as good as lucky for you then the jetpack shark attack crew are here <laughs> it's sharks with jetpacks which is terrifying hands, firing guns at a rocket ship and that's why i love this book i feel like sharks don't need guns they've already got teeth lots of teeth lots of sharp teeth maybe that that's what they're firing are the teeth See, you should be writing this book, Ryan. They should be firing teeth. I would so happily have an issue. I don't know that I could ever top the Gorilla UFO Squadron, <laughs> but I would try because it's gorillas that are piloting UFOs, <laughs> fighting a rocket ship. Like this book is so much fun. It's oh. a great, it's a really fun book, and a couple of the issues have been really stellar. That Bill Willingham it was that was a pick of the week. That was a really great, great, uh, great story. And then the the last question I have for you about this book is next issue is the last issue. Right. So do you think, I don't know who's doing it. I think do it's you Kirby. Think that Kirby came back? Yeah, then to, they got him again. Nice. That's good, because, you know, it's, he had interesting relationships with Marvel <laughs> and DC. Do you think the next issue, the final issue in this series, will end on a cliffhanger, or is it actually going to have any sort of finality? <sighs> I think it's got it on a cliffhanger. I think so, too. I think, I think so that's too. the fun thing. I mean, Commandy's story doesn't end. So nope. Let's end it on a cliffhanger. Why I think not? You're right. Why not? I hope you're right. And I don't know who the creative team is, and I'm I'm looking forward to finding out. It's such a fun surprise every time it comes out. Yes. I say every time it comes out instead of every month because I have no idea how shipping schedules work anymore. It's all broken. Everything. My whole concept of time within comics is broken. Let's talk about Harry's really quick. Let's take a quick break to talk about a great shaving company. I use Harry's every day. I get nice. I get a nice clean. Smooth shave, and I also say I like to I get an elegant shave because they're all of their shaving accoutrement is really beautifully designed and elegant. And we'll be talking about the gift set in a minute, but I'm already, I've already gotten my eye on a new person. I've been spreading the gift set around for the last couple of years, and I'm, I'm doing that again this year. And uh, Harry's is so confident you're gonna love their blades. They're gonna give you a trial shave set for free when you sign up for Harry's.com/ifanboy. You just pay for shipping. Just go check it out. You don't even have to buy it. Just go look at it, and you'll and I I defy you to not then try the shave set for free because it's so nice looking. Harry's is all about a great shave at a fair price, which is why over 3 million people have switched to Harry's. And we, we know the story. Jeff and Andy, two guys who got fed up with overpriced razors, bought their own factory in Germany, which is the thing you can do apparently. This factory's got over 100 years of blade making experience. It's a 100% quality guarantee. And Harry's offers their blade at half the price of leading five blade razors by selling to you directly over the internet. So here's what you do. As I said, here's how you claim your free trial offer from Harry's today. It's a $13 value for free. When you sign up, you just pay shipping. Your trial shave set includes a weighted ergonomic razor handle, five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and the trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and the travel blade cover, which uh, is so key. And I have located my missing shave cover. I know everyone was worried about it. I know there was a... Was it next to your, next to your dongle? It was a hashtag on Twitter. It was not next to my dongle. It was, it was back at my mom's house where I was visiting, and I told her, do not throw that away. I'll be, I'll be back. Do not throw my travel blade cover away, and I'll come get it. So I'll, I'm going to reunite with it, kind of like Five and his father. I'm going to run to it, screaming its name. So get your holiday shopping done early. It's the holiday season now. We're officially in the holiday season, it's despite the fact that the commercials have been trying to tell you it's been the holiday season for a month now, but we're officially in it now. Get your sh- holiday shopping done early. Harry's just released their special edition holiday sets. They make great gifts for the man in your life who likes to shave, who likes a smooth face. Check them out over at harrys.com slash ifanboy right now. That's harrys.com slash ifanboy. Check out the holiday sets. Get your free trial set today. Sherlock Frankenstein and the Legion of Evil, number two. I'm glad you, you mentioned this book because I really like it. 
Okay, so you are reading it? I wasn't yes, sure. I am reading it. Yeah, this is like, what if Super Mario was taken over by Cthulhu? And I'm like, what's not to love about that idea and the execution of it being so great? Cthulhu. Cthulhu, which is a very clever name. And uh, this is the continuation of Lucy Weber, who's the daughter of Black Hammer, in the real world, although I guess we don't really know that the world of Black Hammer isn't the real world. Right. She's continuing her investigative reporting to try to figure out what happened to her father and his team. And she's kind of going around interviewing a lot of the old supervillains. And in this issue, she goes and meets Mr. Kaminsky or Cthulhu, who is a plumber with the head of an old god. He's Lou Kaminsky, who, who got the Cthulhu head. He was a great character. He was funny, complaining about how nobody wants a plumber who looks like this. Mm-hmm. He's got an overbearing wife. I really like this as a companion series. This seems to be where Jeff Lemire gets to have a little bit more fun. I mean, the the other the main series is fun, Black Hammer, but this is like he gets to explore the wackier side of this universe. Yeah, Black Hammer's like it's eerie and it's a little dark, and I mean, Black Hammer's almost a slow burn horror book. I feel like, mm-hmm. whereas this, you know, is exploring the world, and this is almost like the a dark side Astro city and dark side in that, like the world is just grimier, not that it's actually dark. Right. Does that make sense? I get it. Yes. It's definitely dirty. And the art's great. I mean, the art on the, on black hammer regularly is awesome, but, uh, David Rubin, uh, I guess I should just, I need to say that story, but yes. do we say that? Yes. Okay. Just the mayor, David Rubin. Yeah. I'm loving this companion series. Black hammer is a book I wouldn't have known about unless you guys started talking about it on the show. So I just, I wanted to talk about this because it's the series I point people to if they're looking for a cool off kilter superhero book right now. And also we meet possibly another future superhero villain in Cthulhu his daughter. <laughs> yeah. Yep. This was great. This was really terrific. I'm glad you're here to talk about a book we wouldn't normally talk about. And that book is James Bond solstice. Number one. Yeah, and you know, whenever I get the opportunity, I've, I've been on the Pick of the Week show before, and so whenever I get the opportunity to come on the Pick of the Week show, I like to read books that even I might not always read because I want to try new things and be able to talk about those new things with other people. And I read a lot of books this week that did not make the cut for <laughs> me to want to talk about, and this is one of them that did. So it's a James Bond book written and drawn by Ibrahim Mustafa with Jordan Boyd on colors and Simon Ballon on letters, and it's like... I also tend to think about the Thanksgiving season as a season for a James Bond movie to come out, right? Right. But they don't yeah. they don't release them then anymore. And so I'm I was lacking in my heart and I read this and it, it it's just a James Bond movie in in a single issue of a comic book. It's great. It's it's tough cuz I want to I love James Bond, one of my favorite fictional characters, but I think was it the Warren Ellis? Did Warren Ellis write? He started, yeah, when when in, the the property got picked up by Dynamite. He wrote the first arc. I mean, I read about half of that, and I was like, "Well, geez, if a, if a Warren Ellis written James Bond book is boring, then what? I mean, what's the, what's the, what am I going to do here? So I haven't read anything since then. But you're saying this is worth reading? I know it's a it's a number one, but it really is a one and done. Mm-hmm. The story of the book is that James gets a sort of off the books mission from M. Uh, because M's daughter is hooking up with a guy who's formerly Russian SFB, which is their uh, the the modern incarnation of the KGB. It's the thing Vladimir Putin uh, was a member of, or maybe even in charge of. I'm not entirely sure. And so James goes to Paris to essentially break up this couple <laughs> by killing a dude, and it's great. Which M is it? I mean, it's not any M we've seen in the films because it's a black guy. 
Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. I mean, I, I might check it. I like James Bond a lot. It's the current Money Penny, who's that uh, woman from 28 Days Later that I yeah. think is gorgeous and awesome. But yeah, uh, M is also a black guy, so it's not uh, not an M I've ever seen before. It's not the old British white dude. It's not Judy Dench, and it's not uh, Ray Fiennes. But it's a Bond who's drawn to look very much like Archer. To, and at one point, he takes on the code name Sterling, which is Archer's first name in the show. He, so that was a little tongue-in-cheek. But overall, it was, I, I thought, a very good Bond story. That's how they drew him in the Warren Ellis uh, book, too. That's kind of like their, I guess, their model for James Bond. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I got a kick out of it. It was, I, If it had been more than one issue, I don't think it would have worked for me. But the fact that it's one issue, I, I, I liked it. Detective Comics 969, this is the moment we've been waiting for in which Stephanie, the spoiler, finds out that Tim Drake is still alive. And this is not a knock necessarily on Joe Bennett, who's a good superhero artist. I thought the moment would have had more impact if it had been drawn by an artist with a bit more range in face acting. Hmm. Because the whole thing is, is a, basically her reaction to seeing Tim. There's four panels of her face as she oh, yeah. opens the door, you know, covers her mouth with her hands and starts crying and then is happy. And it just, it was a little rough from that face acting side. Yeah, I, I thought that as well. But I really like Tim and Stephanie together. They're, they're great. You know, there's an underlying bit of sadness because she thinks he's giving up crime fighting and he's definitely not especially after what's been happening lately and finding out from his future self that, that uh, Batwoman is evil in the future. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, what are they doing with Batwoman? I don't know, but also, I mean, that was his future self from the old universe, not from the New 52. So who, who knows what's happening? Right, that was the Jeff Johns when, when he was writing Teen Titans and the Titans went to the future, or, or all their future selves came back. And so we got to see, like, Con-El, uh, Superboy as Superman, and we got to see... Cassie as Wonder Woman and, and you know, a very feral changeling and then right. Tim Drake as Batman. So who knows? He may be trying to fight a future that doesn't even exist. That might also be the tragedy of it. But anyway, I, I was looking forward to that moment. It could have been done a little better, but I liked it. I've been reading this book and I find James Tinney in the fourth. I like the stories he's telling. He's a bit wordy as a writer. He definitely is. And sometimes it works and a lot of times it doesn't. And also Joe Bennett draws Clayface to look almost exactly like the concrete character by Paul Chadwick. <laughs> I didn't see that, but now I do, yeah. Yeah, you won't unsee it. I didn't finish the Victim Syndicate, so like this group of villains has very little impact for me. So yeah. I just, I don't know. I'll stick with it. But It's hard to know what our emotional toeholds here are with Doomsday Hat. Clock. Also, I don't know why it's called Doomsday Clock because all I think about now is when is Doomsday going to show up? Yeah, it's hard to know what our emotional toe holds in DCR until this is all resolved with Watchmen. Oh, there's a lot of characters in Detective. <laughs> there are. I like the idea of it. I like the idea of the book being sort of all the side characters in there. Yeah, I don't know. Ugh. DC has to figure some stuff out. Motor Girl number ten. This is the final issue of Terry Moore's latest series. I thought maybe this had a chance to be pick of the week, and it did in theory because it's one of the best-looking books out there, and the story's been really interesting and emotional. However, I couldn't make it the pick because when I finished reading it, I wasn't quite sure what had happened. So we've been following along our main, with our main character, whose name I never remember, um, as she and her f- fellow friends in the desert are watching uh, all the alien spaceships uh, show up, all of the uh, saucers, from, like the classic saucer spaceships, and uh, their little alien friend starts yelling stuff and the saucers start shooting and then a bunch of people we've been following along get vaporized 
And then the aliens fly off, but then it's sort of mirrored with her flashbacks to the war with helicopters and soldiers. And so I wasn't quite sure if this entire thing was sort of a PTSD flashback and or a fantasy she had in her head while she was in captivity in Iraq. It doesn't seem to be. It's hard to say. I mean, it, it doesn't seem to be because she, she comes out of, the, uh, out of the hospital. I need to reread all of these 10 issues again and, and try to figure out exactly what the arc of this book is. It was, it was terrifically done. Great drawing. Great character work. I just need to reread it all together to figure out where all this stuff happens, either in her head or in, in real life. Or where, or what, or maybe some some do and some don't. I'm not sure, but it was a nice, sweet ending. And I guess Terry Moore is restarting *Strangers in Paradise* in January, and so I'm not sure what I'm gonna do with that. But *Water Girl* was really, really a good book overall, even if I was a little confused by the ending of it. So, with Josh out, I was hoping to avoid this. Oh no! <laughs> but I guess we are. Star always, Wars corner. Always in Star Wars corner. <laughs> always be Star Warsing. Star Wars 39. Star Wars 39, story by Kieran Gill and art by Salvador Roca. Uh, colors by Guru EFX and letters by Clayton Cowles. This is continuing the Ashes of Jeddah storyline. And, okay, so Elephant in the Room is LaRocca's art. Yes. The photo referencing in this issue is particularly egregious only because you've got the three principals. You've got Luke, Han, and Leia as your main characters throughout the issue. And any character who's not them is fine. Fine to the point where they don't even look photo-referenced. And so it's so jarring to have these characters look photo-referenced, but it's only these three characters in the rest of the book. There's a Imperial commander who is drawn to look just like uh, Gior Mormont, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch uh-huh. in Game of Thrones. But even then, the face acting is better for whatever reason. And so I'm just having a really hard time with the fact that any non-principal character looks fine and the three characters I want to see what's happening with the most don't. I hate to say it, I do think it's detracting from Kieran's story. Because I, I, you know, I like Kieran Gill a lot. I want him to win on this book and, and he keeps getting paired with uh, Salvador LaRocca. So they've worked together a lot, but it's just not coming together for me. Obviously, I don't read the book, but I did check it out once when uh, Josh and Ron are talking about this particular issue, and it is kind of bizarre to see the how these heads seem pasted on these bodies where everything else is drawn normally. It's really it's really weird that anybody thinks this is a good idea. And then I have a, a one weird issue with the lettering. There's a character, I'm sure if I watched Clone Wars or whatever, I'd know his name, but he's a par- partisan, part of the, the rebel group from Jeddah that Saw Gerrera, uh was the, the leader of. And he's speaking, he's using the Star Wars font or whatever the alphabet is, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. And they're just putting that font in his word balloons and then it's caption boxes as the translation. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't clarified that that's what they were doing when they started doing it because usually those caption boxes are for like internal monologue. Isn't, Isn't technically everybody speaking that language? Yeah, that's the other thing is like as a script, it's the script that everyone uses, whether they're speaking basic or not. So it was actually really it was parts of it were hard to read just because the letterbox of what the character was actually saying was disconnected from the word balloon of what they were actually saying. Hmm. It was odd. It was an odd choice. Um, I would have preferred where they just do like the weird angled brackets. And you know that what's being said inside those brackets is being said in a different language. I think that would have worked better. But this was the choice they made. All right, those are the books we wanted to talk about this week. Uh, if you want to talk about the books, go to ifanboy.com. You can talk about them there. But uh, we always like to have the patrons vote on a book every week. It's the patron pick. 
every week at patreon.com slash ifanboy. Every patron who is a member, even at the $1 level, gets to vote on a book. And one thing I think I've realized, Ryan, is that there's a very strong and active horror contingent on hmm. the patrons. We've had quite a few horror picks, or very close to being picked horror books. And this week is no different. In The Demon, Hell is Earth, number one, the new miniseries from DC Comics starring Etrigan the Demon. It is interesting. There's a very vocal and active horror group, I think, interesting. in the patron group. For me, it's all about the Kirby, right? right. And I, I talked about this on the Justice League show. I'm on such a Kirby high right now that I would have read this book regardless because of Kirby. Interesting. Yeah. Are you not an Etrigan fan? I love uh, Etrigan. I like him a lot as a as a spice, but not as the main course. I think he's great when he shows up and causes havoc and annoys all his heroes, but I don't necessarily want to follow him as a main character. So here, I guess the twist is that, you tell me, is it that it's reversed and now the demon's in charge? I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, as much as I love him, a lot of that is the Tim verse and where it's very straightforward. Jason yeah. Blood's in control unless he calls forth the demon. Right. Here, it seems like the demon is able to talk to him all the time and is always kind of whispering in his ear, devil on the shoulder. There's yeah. also some weird demon in the bottle, Tony Stark imagery of, you know, the yes. alternate personality with the mirror and the bottle of whiskey, which is not bad. It's a, but it's just interesting in a DC comic. What's interesting to me is as much as I love Etrigan, I will admit I don't really have much affinity or affection for Jason blood as a character. So it's kind of cool to see him, how he actually deals with, living with Etrigan and then uh, Madame Xanadu gets brought in. I guess she's tracking the demon for some reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, then a, then a nuke goes off, which felt a little out of nowhere. <laughs> and the nuke has demon faces and, and then the demon gets called forth to deal with the nukes and we're off to the races. Like, I, I don't know what the story is yet. And now that the demon is out, he's saying he's not going to let Jason blood take over again. And Jason is able to talk to the demon while he's in demon form. And apparently that's somehow turning the tables. Which yeah, he, he he says, now I hunt you. So it was written by Andrew Constant, is his name I don't know. Brad Walker is on art. I like Brad Walker's art a lot. I, I thought it looked really great. good. Yeah. He did the Kirby fingernails, which is important. You have to get the boxy fingernails. It's a little bit Hulk, mm-hmm. a little bit, little bit Constantine. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I mean, basically it seems here there's, there's a demon that gets someone in the military to launch a nuke and it blows up. And in some form that causes, I guess, the Etrigan to take full control because he seems to, after that point he seems to be I mean he, he changes at that point and now he's in control gone gone the form of man I like rhyming Etrigan and here it's like well we're not going to have him rhyme the main character's not going to rhyme all the time so he says I only do it when I want to it's just like alright well he tends to, he seems like it seems like he rhymes when he's in the corporeal in the corporeal realm mm-hmm. but he doesn't have to rhyme when he's just talking to Jason through the mirror yeah, I don't know. I, 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 just, I just don't know if I can follow the Etrigan the Demon as a main character. So let's rate the book ratings. I'm going to give it a th- three out of five. Oh, man, I give it uh, in between a 3.5 and a four. I'm going to give it a 3.5. You get 3.75? I, can, I have them allowed, but I don't want to break You can the do whatever system. you want. 3.66. 3.66. Okay. Ha, see what I did there? Yeah, I did. And so are you sticking with it? I am not. 
I am sticking with it for one more issue. I need I need it to come together a little bit in issue two. If it comes together a little bit in issue two, I'll be on board. All right, there you go. So there's the patron pick, patreon.com slash ifanboy. If you become a patron every week, you can vote. And also on the Patreon page, you can see what the top five vote getters are and how close it was, which is fun. It was stressful being updated on the voting. It's fun to watch as, they, as the votes come in. That book didn't get a lot of talk in the comments, but it did It did obviously get a healthy amount of votes. In addition to getting the vote in the book as a patron, a certain, at the $5 level, you get your own patron superpower, which is what we give out every week on the show, patreon.com slash ifanboys, where you get your power. And again, thank you to Chris Lewis for updating the spreadsheet for us, allowing us to make fewer duplications and mistakes after a year of doing this. Let's kick it off giving Stephen Petrovelli his power. And... Ryan, are you ever driving around in your car in a city and you, you're looking for a parking spot and you think, man, I could fit in that spot if that car just moved up six inches? I have often said that if I got a superpower, I'd pick super strength so I could move those cars. Well, Steven, for him, the car just moves. That's even better because you don't have to get out of your yeah, car. Yeah, and it only works with parked cars. It only works when he's trying to park. No one knows why. He, so he's got parking telekinesis. It just moves. It just happens. Hmm. So it's kind of like you, you like turn your head to the side and then you look back and the car has shifted six inches. He pulls up. He's like, man, and it, oh, it just moves up. And I can fit. And wow. so Steven Petrovelli, that's his power. That's really cool. So does it all it, it it shifts the right amount for whatever vehicle he's in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, does, it, he, does he have to be driving it, the vehicle? And also there has to be room. It's not like he creates room where there wasn't. It's like if there has to be room in front of the car for it to move up. Okay, okay. So, but he and he has to be in the driver's seat of the car. That that's a different park. power. That's like creating a, a parking spot, which is a whole different thing. This is he can he can move he can shift that car to, so he can fit in the spot. Right, but what I'm saying is like when they get when it's time to park, if yeah. he's not driving, he they have to stop the car. He has to get into the driver's seat for this to activate. Um, no, I'll just say he has to be in the car. In the car. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, what if like so you know if if somebody's trying to park outside his building. And they're like, oh, there's a spot I could. And so he has to go down well, see, the thing, and get in the car. No one, no one knows about Steven's power. He's, he's got to keep it close to the vest. Uh, Otherwise, people are okay. always calling him to be like, hey, I, I need you to come around. I got to park. And that's gotcha. just going to drive him crazy. He's got a life, too, you know. But this is his life now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited about this part of the show, you guys. Uh, I, I'm giving a power to Johan Berender. And uh, I'm going to try. I, I'm not going to. This may or may not work. I'm going to try and do the Ron Richards one-word thing. Uh-huh. Feathers. Feathers, okay. Yoan grows feathers instead of hair. Anywhere he would grow hair, he grows feathers. Okay, so he's got feathers on his head. Yep. And feathers anywhere else he's got hair. Anywhere, like, so, you know, maybe on his arms he's got, like, down, like, goose down. So uh-huh. it's, like, a soft, it's still, like, soft. It's not, you know, giant flight feathers. And but on his head, maybe he's got like cool colors, you know, for for uh, displaying to mates, potential mates. Interesting. So plumage. He his he. It's not just feathers, but it's kind of pl- it's plumage. But it's only where a human would normally have hair. Right. What about on his face, like a beard? He could grow a feather beard if he wanted to grow a feather beard, or he'd have to shave it. And I don't know. I mean, Harry's makes good razors. I don't know if they can cut through feathers. Huh. <laughs> uh, maybe better to stick with the peach fuzz. Interesting. Yeah, so it's feathers. They work just like normal hair. He can't fly. He has no ability to fly. He just grows feathers. Interesting. All right. Adam Amendolito. Adam Amendolino, thanks for being a patron. Adam's power is that once a day, once every 24 hours, and for five minutes only, he can quantum leap back into his own body at any time during his lifespan. 
huh. So wait, say that. So one, for five, so once a day, that's a complicated power. He can do it only once every 24 hours, and the leap lasts only five minutes, then he jumps back to the present day. But he can jump back into his own body any time in his, in his life. Wow. So a quick change butterfly effect. Is he just occupying his body and the changes, do changes that he make in the, can he change things in the past? The thing about Adam you don't know is that he's very conscientious about the timeline. He knows the danger of making too many changes. It's more like, you know, relive a special moment or see something again, maybe a loved one, but it's not, he's not going back there and buying Apple stock or stopping Hitler. Well, he wasn't alive during that point in time, but you know what I mean? He understands, he understands the dangers of altering the time stream just inherently. Huh. What would happen if he like did something really dramatic just to himself? Like what if, what if in those five minutes, you know, he threw himself off, off of a tall, tall structure. Well, then he would be dead. He's going to die. He, he, Quantum. He, he, can, he just leaves back. Like theoretically, could he go back and stop himself from getting that tattoo that he always regrets getting? Sure. I don't want, you know, this isn't a question that reveals too much about me, but what happens if he goes back to like when he's uh, in a blackout drunk? Does he, is he conscious? Like, is he aware because when he traveled back, he was sober or does he enter the body and well, then also the thing is the body, the body is still drunk. There's still alcohol in the system. He's just, his consciousness is back there. So he's still drunk. But, yeah. But you can, I mean, you can try to drive a, a broken robot <laughs> and still, uh, you know, prevent, prevent the, the dumb thing from happening or whatever, or at least be aware of what, or you could at least remember, right. You'd at least remember what happened to you in that state. That's true, Ryan. These are all good questions. These are all good ideas. But uh, you'll have to take it up with Adam. This is power. Okay. I, I, I'm only the conduit of telling you what it is. He has to be the one to deal with it. Adam, please get in touch. <laughs> Chris Losecki. Is that how you think you say that? Yeah, Lose- sure. Losecki. Sure. Chris. Chris's power. Anytime he has to roll a die for, for any situation, it's always a plus one. Meaning... No matter what he rolls, it is effectively plus one of that roll. Give me an example here. Well, okay. So I, I came up with this power because I've been playing a lot of D&D lately. Uh-huh. And um, my character is actually modeled after Dick Grayson. Connor, you'll be happy to know. See, he's the best. And so if he rolls a 19, that counts as a natural 20. And so he, he gets you know criticals on whatever he's trying to do. But like <sighs> if in a situation where you may want to roll a 7, you know, you're playing craps or whatever. Uh-huh. If he rolls a seven, it's automatically an, an eight. Like he can't help it. Like it's it, it cuts both ways. So what happens when he rolls a six-sided die? The universe ends. So this is only good for like basically twenty-sided die scenarios. No, no, no. I'm saying if it, if it goes above the number on the die, like we don't know what's going to happen. Like it's like when it's just like when Doc warns Marty, you don't meet yourself because if you meet yourself, the universe could end or mm-hmm. nothing might happen. And it's going to be one of those two things, and we don't know what, so he has to be very careful. With how he rolls dice? Yeah, because he could end the universe. We don't know. Okay, Chris, Adam, Johan, Steven, thanks for being patrons. Patreon.com slash iFanboy. That's where you can go and sign up, help us out, and also to get your own patron power, and as well as vote in the patron pick. Yeah, and you sign up for that on Patreon.com slash iFanboy, and the next stretch goal is a non-comics media podcast. So, do you like other kinds of media? You probably do. Then maybe you want to podcast about it sometimes. Uh, Yes, I definitely have time for more podcasts.
<laughs> well, think about the listeners too. Do listeners have time to listen to more podcasts? They'll make time for iFanboy, I imagine, because they also make room in their uh, in their closet or in their uh, dresser drawers. Yeah, for the t-shirts. And if you want an iFanboy t-shirt, you go to iFanboy.com. No, you go to ifanboy.threadless.com, where there are five designs, the two classic iFanboy and Herm shirts. I still have my original iFanboy intern shirt. Oh, there you go. Mine is somewhere. There are three new shirts you can also get. One is the Pick of the Week podcast shirt. The other is Ratings. Would you always talk about how Herm is not based on anything? Ratings, also not based on anything. Right, exactly. The original idea. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the brand new shirt, if one is Electro. And then there's uh, new designs in the pipeline coming down the pike, and they're coming soon. Soonish. If you would like to support iFanboy directly, Patreon, you know, Patreon might not be your thing, or maybe you don't want a recurring commitment. Uh, you can give a one-time donation via PayPal, and eccentric billionaires are welcome. So at the end of the year, always welcome. Yeah, tax haven. Yeah. So let's do some audience questions. Actually, let's do one audience question since we're running a little long. So let's do Blair W. Blair writes and says... I've been thinking about this for nearly a decade. So when superheroines have a secret identity, they almost always wear their hair up. See, for example, Supergirl and Wonder Woman. When a superheroine is in her action mode, she always wears her hair down. Why is this? When I go running, a far less athletic activity than doing flips and flying through the air, I put my hair in a ponytail, lest it fall on my face. It seems like they should go in the opposite direction, wear the hair up for fighting and down for everyday life. Do they have super hair too? Has anyone else noticed this seeming incongruity? Yes. My wife has been complaining about this incongruity for years. Maybe not a decade. She hasn't maybe thought about it as long as Blair has. But she constantly complains about how uh, they have a ponytail. You know, heroines, superheroines have a ponytail. Wonder Woman, Supergirl, they have a ponytail when they're in their secret identity. And then they take the hair. They purposefully let the hair down to fight. Yeah. Right. She's not Blair and your wife, both not wrong. I mean... There is an artistic reason, and then, then there's the societal reason, I think. Yeah. The artistic reason is that it looks cooler when the hair's all flying around and, and it's more it's dynamic. more dynamic. The societal reason is it's sexier. Yeah, so the part that was, I was thinking about that because we want the secret identities to be sort of plain Jane, right. less alluring, and so you put it in a ponytail. My wife brought up the one counterexample she could come up with on the top of her head. Okay. And that is Disney's Mulan. She has her hair down when she's in uh, feminine form, but then when she's trying to join the Chinese army as a dude, she puts the hair up. It also like pulls her face back in a way right. where it kind of changes the shape of her face so right. that she's not as recognizable. And it's, I think that's a great counterexample. It is, and it's obviously the more practical thing that would happen in real life. Batgirl sort of mitigates this by having her cowl sort of hold the hair down. It flaps around sort of in the back, but it doesn't, like, it would never cover her face. Right, and then Batwoman is wearing a wig. Right. So it's not really her long hair, it's and just a So a was fate. Batgirl on the 60s TV show. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, I mean, it really comes down to style and visual appealingness, both artistic mm. and... I don't make I, it's not my decision. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Julie's argument was like they should just learn how to make really cool braids, right? Like, because if you had a ponytail and your or let your hair down in your normal identity, but then had like a really sick braid for battle mode. Well, you have like a lot of them, the Amazons, you know, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman movie, you know, they have the they have their hair in cool braids. It's just, uh, I'm nothing wrong with a good ponytail. 
But it is weird that it's done in the reverse of what would make more sense practically. I think it has to do with visual appeal. And I think what you said is pretty accurate is that, you know, one way is blending in. The other way is, is standing out. And, uh, but to answer Blair's question directly, yes, Wonder Woman and Supergirl do have super hair. That's also, that is also true. And yes, other people have noticed this on incongruity. So yes and yes. So there you go, Blair. Contact at ifanway.com is how you can get on the show. Thanks for writing in. And if you do write in, tell us who you are, where you're from, how long you've been thinking about the question. Here, let's announce some things and plug some things. Booksplow, the other side we mentioned earlier, is I think right behind this show on the feed. That's where Josh and I reviewed the other side special edition release from Jason Aaron and Cameron Stewart. Jason Aaron's first public published work, which was a miniseries about the Vietnam War. And then that was a show that was unlocked by the patrons. And the next show in December will be a Talksplode. And I believe... I believe Josh may have recorded that one already, or is about to record it. Anyway, he's got someone lined up, someone I'm really looking forward to hearing from, and that will be coming to you pretty soon, and probably in the first couple of weeks of December. But that one should be interesting. Also, if you go back in the feed, you will find a Thor Ragnarok special edition podcast, a movie Connor hated. No. He just All he did was talk about how much he hated it the entire time. So uh, <laughs> if you loved it, go listen and <laughs> and then uh, let your wrath be heard on the comment section. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> there, there's also a Justice League podcast, which I had the pleasure of being on. And so I got to talk with Connor and Mike Romo about the Justice League, a movie we were all conflicted about. And um, we weren't mad. We were just disappointed. And you were almost on the Thor show. I tried, but yeah. I just uh, scheduling, you know. And Josh was almost on the Justice League show. This is how it works. Also, let's mention briefly the holiday schedule now that we're rounding the corner on the end of the year. So this is episode 612 of the Pick of the Week show. Next week, coming out December 3rd, will be episode 613. The week after, December 10th, will be episode 614. That'll be the final Pick of the Week for the year. The week after that, December 17th, will be the all-media year-end roundup, which is what we've been doing every year since we've been doing this show, in which we talk about movies and TV shows and books and games and Music and also comics that'll be happening. I love those shows on the seventeenth, and then uh, somewhere around the nineteenth or twentieth, we'll release our Star Wars: The Last Jedi show. Uh, it'll all just depend on when we see it, when we can talk about it. But that'll be coming out somewhere in that in that area. And then we'll be off for, for a couple of weeks for the holidays, and we'll be returning January seventh with Pick of the Week number six fifteen. That'll be January seventh. So that's your holiday schedule. I do a show uh, on my own time called Science Sort of. It's a science podcast, but it's not just about science. We also talk about culture and drinks, and uh, we talk about the process of doing science. So it's definitely not a lecture at the lectern. It's just talking about science and having a really good time with it. So the episode that's coming out in conjunction with this episode is me at a meeting. So I went to an actual scientific conference, microphone in hand, and uh, talked to friends of mine about the work that they were presenting at that meeting. And so if that's the kind of thing that sounds good to you, go check out Science Sort of, sciencesort and head over to ifanboy.com so you can find all the podcasts we just mentioned uh, in the previous segment, like facebook.com slash ifanboy, and follow at ifanboy on Twitter. That's where you can find out what the pick is before the show comes out. And you can follow us individually at Jay Flanagan on Twitter and Instagram, at C.S. Kilpatrick on Instagram. And Ryan, what are your social tags if you want them to follow you? I am at Helped on Twitter, and I'm at Ryan Helped on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram mostly if you want photos of when I go hiking or when I do weird food stuff. Uh, this morning, Connor, uh-huh. I put pre-made biscuits from the tube that when it pops you're always scared no matter how many times you've done it yes i put those in the waffle maker and that was a great idea oh that's what that was yeah interesting yeah okay how that's helped h-a-u-p-t correct you can find him there you know if you dig the show write a review on itunes i've written a review for i fanboy on itunes 
Better yet, you can tell your friends. You're about to see a bunch of your friends and family for the holidays. Introduce your mom to podcasts. Help us spread the iFanboy love because we all are podcast saturated these days. It takes a big hurdle to overcome to get people to subscribe to new podcasts. So it's going to take some effort on you to get your friends and your family into the show. So give it a shot. And for any show, Science Sort of, any or any podcast you listen to, they really would appreciate a review. That's how people find podcasts. And that's, it is. Uh, that's the best thing you can do. In lieu of any other support, it's pretty easy and pretty fast. That's it for this week's show. Thank you, Ryan, for coming in on a holiday weekend. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. I'm Connor. I'm Ryan. Goodbye. Thanks. <laughs>